get me some coffee, half and half, three sweet and lows in a real cup. Hello, my name is Will and this is Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world which eulogises, criticises and categorises helicopter explosions in film. Now, way back in the dim and distant history of 2013, the idea that North Korea might launch an unprovoked attack on America seemed the stuff of fiction. How quickly times change. What previously seemed like an absurd premise for a movie now has a chilling, rip-from-the-headlines realism. I speak, of course, of Olympus Has Fallen, a film which sees the naughty Norks launch an audacious assault on the White House and take the president hostage. And talking of ridiculous ideas that should have been immediately vetoed, I'm joined by a returning contributor to the Exploding Helicopter podcast. Joining me once again is my good friend Joe. How you doing, Joe? It takes 15 minutes for the armed forces to reach the White House world, but I'm going to take down your podcast in 13. I completely believe that you could take down this podcast in 13 minutes. You are, you're a one-man disaster. Well, in terms of disaster areas, it pales in comparison to this film. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't give your hand away just yet, Joe. Well, there's plenty of time to get stuck into uh, Olympus Has Fallen. But uh, yeah, it's been a little while since you've been uh, last on the Exploding Helicopter podcast. I hope you didn't feel like I'd forgotten all about you. I'd forgotten that I'd even been on it before, Will. It's been so long. Uh, <laughs> but you hadn't... Uh, it doesn't seem like you'd missed this terribly. Well, I mean, obviously, I've been following religiously, so know all of the all of the latest episodes, and uh, yeah, looking looking forward to to adding to the mix. What was the last episode that we did, Joe? The last episode we did uh, mm. would be was it Capricorn One? Not us together, Joe. The last episode ever of the. That's, uh... a, that's a separate question. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, there have been many episodes, many episodes. <laughs> Okay, I'm slightly suspicious now of your assurance that you've been uh, you've been keeping up with Exploding Helicopter podcast. I think you should need to uh, to go away and uh, have a bit of a look at that. But uh, for various reasons, I'm possibly regretting getting you involved in this episode. But uh, I think one of them may be the fact that uh, I think it's fair to say you're not really much of an action movie aficionado or buff, are you, Joe? I mean, it wouldn't be my first genre that I would normally go to on an evening. Um, but certainly a questionable choice as to why I'm here, Will. <laughs> <laughs> I think for, for people listening, just to give them an idea of how sort of little you have to do with uh, the action movie genre, I was, well, have been quite appalled for a number of years by the fact that, uh, that you'd never watched Die Hard. In fairness, Will, this had always been something that I'd been really wanting to see, but I mean, it's it's on so rarely that like, how... How could I uh, how could I ever get to see it? But um, yes, I, I, what I what I would reassure you with is that I have now seen Die Hard. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the sequel whenever it's out. So I want to test your action movie credentials a little bit further. So um, have you seen Predator? Yes, I saw Predator on a on a plane uh, earlier this year for the first time. <laughs> and did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, th I think it was it was always meant, I think, to be watched on a plane. I think that's probably the format that the director had in mind. And uh, <laughs> no, I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. One of one of Arnie's great films. And have you ever seen a Rambo movie? What's a Rambo? <laughs> I think. 
think that answers my question. So, uh, yeah, on that worrying note about your credentials, I think it's time to get stuck into uh, another action movie. Let's uh, let's see how you do with this one. We're going to get stuck into Olympus Has Fallen. But before we do that, let's get in the mood by listening to a few snappily cut together snippets of dialogue. Give me the Pentagon on the line now. Olympus is falling. Olympus is falling. Mr. Speaker, you are the acting president. I want to speak to the Russians, the Chinese, the British, and the French. In that order. If you attempt to retake this building, I will execute your commander-in-chief. Oh, my God. We have contact from inside the White House. Identify yourself. 309er. Jesus, Banning? Same guy that was removed from the president's detail. He is ex-special forces. Forty commandos breached the gate. Twenty-eight are left. Can we trust him? With all due respect, I'm the best hope you've got. Olympus Has Fallen came out in uh, 2013. It stars Jared Butler as disgraced Secret Service agent Mike Banning. He finds himself as the only man who can save the president's life after North Koreans launch an audacious attack on the White House and take POTUS hostage. The Norks want to use the Prez as leverage for the withdrawal of American forces from South Korea, but their leader also wants to turn America into an irradiated wasteland by blowing up America's stockpile of nuclear weapons. Alongside Butler, the film stars Aaron Eckhart, Morgan Freeman, Melissa Leo, Angela Bassett, Ashley Judd, Robert Forster and Dylan McDermott. It was directed by Antoine Fuqua, who made Training Day, The Equalizer and more recently The Magnificent Seven remake. The film did decent business when it came out. It grossed $170 million worldwide from a budget of $70 million. It has a 6.5 rating on IMDb and a 67% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The film didn't find many fans amongst the critics, though Peter Bradshaw at The Guardian called it a no-stereotypes-barred, red-scare disaster movie of the sort Jerry Zucker might write after a head injury, while The Evening Standard called it a reactionary fantasy. So, Joe, what did you make of Olympus Has Fallen? The film as a whole is a bit of a disaster. The plot seems, I mean, to say it's got holes in it, I think is an understatement. I think the characters are equally implausible as the as the plot and i mean we'll, we'll come into this in a bit more detail well but i mean i i i know it was described in, in the run-up as die hard in the white house i think that does die hard a distinct disservice and that's somebody that's only seen die hard once as we've established <laughs> Well I, well, I think this is why I wanted you on this podcast. It's much more interesting if there is a bit of a disagreement here, because I really like Olympus Fallen, and I make no apologies for it. You know, sometimes you want to be intellectually challenged by a movie. Other times, you just want your baser instincts tickled. And this is an unashamedly, brutally violent movie. I think it's got an ambitious plot, and I think ambitious in terms of, you know, <laughs> let's put Die Hard in the White House. That's an idea that immediately grabs my attention and that's an idea that i want to see play out and this film just sets out to be brutally violent action movie with a high stakes plot and that's how it plays out and i think it delivers on all of the elements i think you're quite mistaken there well i think <laughs> the I, I think I know that you don't like intellectually challenging films at times but uh, i mean this this completely 
<laughs> completely ruins anybody's intellect, I think, with, with all of its aspects of craziness and the plot. I think the, the violence is, let's be honest, it's pretty simple stuff. I don't think there are any surprises really at any stage of this film. And I only hope that the, uh, the other White House disaster movie was, uh, was, was a good one because this certainly was not. Well, let's um, get into uh, some of the details of, uh, of the plot of this movie. So I wondered what you made of the North Koreans' plan to take over the White House. Well, if we begin with the aircraft that is chucking its way towards the White House, how long does it need to be given until the aircraft actually do something about it? I mean, this is huge incompetence on the, the role of the U.S. Air Force. Secondly, you've got you've got no background checks on the staff from the Korean contingent. Surely <laughs> the White House would have, would have done this long in advance. And thirdly, you've got the bizarre premise that the president will do something unexpected and against usual procedure to actually get this Korean delegation into the bunker, which is a key part of the film. If that doesn't happen, then none of this film can actually take place. And it seems such a stretch to actually assume that the, the president would do an unorthodox thing in this situation. I mean, I don't know what your view is on it, is that. But at that point, I found it quite difficult to continue believing what, what, what I was seeing. Well, I'm perhaps a bit more charitable. I'm sort of willing to suspend my disbelief for the airplane, as you say, slowly chugging its way across Washington unchallenged. But as I say, I think the biggest stumbling block, even for me, who really enjoys this movie, is that the entire plan does hinge, as you say, on the American president making an impromptu request for the South Koreans to join them in this bunker. But uh, I think there's enough going, you know, I think the kind of the, the forward motion of the action is enough to really sort of rail past that, though this this is a, a this is a plan though that does rely on an awful lot of dominoes being put in exactly the right order and then falling over exactly as planned because it did stretch my credulity but I was willing to give it a bit of a pass. I think what the director decided here was that so as to try and make sure that nobody thinks too much about the plot. It's just piling the action mm. action layer on layer on layer so quick and fast that it doesn't actually give you much much time unless you're for example reviewing this film for a podcast it doesn't give you much time to actually sit back and pick holes in the in the plot because you're just taken forward so quickly but i found this a bit of a, a bit of a disaster now there was one element of the north koreans plan which did stick a little bit in my craw even with me as an unabashed fan of this film which was really just quite what the sort of political motivations for the villain were because the main villain in this movie is a guy called Kang and we learn in the film that his dad has been killed by the North Koreans because he uh, he went against the uh, North Korean regime he then fled with his mother from North Korea uh, but his mother was blown up on a US landmine presumably in the uh, the the sort of the buffer zone that there is between the the two countries and this character his ambition it seems is to uh, reunite Korea but he seems to be sort of doing this on a completely freelance basis and I was I was puzzled by the fact that why who is he working for or who, who who where does his sympathies lie because on the one hand you know his dad's been killed by North Korea his mum's been killed by America and he blames South Korea but his intentions 
seem to be to unify Korea. But it's like, well, you know, how do you marry that up? Who do you want to prevail in, in that scenario? I don't know if you were as confused as I was. I was completely confused by this. And it seemed completely as though he was in the wrong area of the world, Will. I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, he's got he's clearly got grievances against sort of local players in the civil war, uh, as he put it, in, in Korea. And it just didn't seem to be particularly believable that this that all of his mastermind powers would really be sort of focused on this particular player halfway across the world. Yeah, because we probably should explain that, the, you know, his objective, Kang's objective is in this movie is to, well, he's got a couple of objectives. He wants the Americans to withdraw their uh, fleet that is uh, off uh, the, uh, it, which is in the uh, Asia Pacific. Um, he also then wants America to withdraw their troops from the demilitarized zone so that the two countries can finish the civil war that America interrupted, as he, as he says in this movie. And he also then has a bit of a side plan, which is to blow up America's entire nuclear arsenal in their missile silos, thus turning America into a, a irradiated wasteland. So it does seem just really ideologically confused as far as I'm concerned. It seems overly harsh as well. I mean, it's <laughs> disproportionate to, to what his actual grievances are with the particular characters. I also was rather puzzled by um, there's a speech that Dylan McDermott, who we find out in this film, has uh, thrown his lot in with Kang and his baddie. So he's basically sold out America in, in, and decided to uh, help blow up the country. And he is asked by uh, the president kind of, you know, how could he betray the country? And he just sort of mutters globalization, Wall Street, and then just sort of tails off. And I think that just seemed to me further evidence of the fact that this film didn't really know what the motivations of its of its villains were. Globalization, Wall Street, the 1977 film Capricorn One. <laughs> I mean, I think this. I don't know if this is endemic of of a problem that. Uh, Hollywood is facing in now that the Cold War is ended in in the sense that other than, I guess, lining your own pockets, there isn't really it's hard to find uh, it's hard to give uh, villains a sort of, you know, a coherent ideology in which they might want to, I don't know, duff up the West unless, you know, uh, I think Hollywood is somewhat adrift in what it wants to do with villains. No, I think that's a fair comment. And I mean, you you will probably know the name of this action film because it's, as you can imagine, not at the tip of my tongue. But wasn't there a, a film in the last few years where North Korean troops ended up invading America, invading America? So it, it does seem as though they, they are being sort of challenged to come up with new strands to, to approach in the 21st century. Well, that's it's Red Dawn, Joe, if you want to check it out. It is a, it, leave it's a remake of, of a film that was originally made in the uh, 1980s, which featured a Soviet invasion of uh, the United States. Excellent. Let's talk about the violence in this movie, because uh, I don't think you'll appreciate this, Joe, but uh, Olympus Has Fallen was somewhat of an unusual film when it came out, because uh, I think in the, in the 1980s, these types of action movies were always an 18-rated film or a hard R-rated film, but uh, sort of in recent years, because of the sort of audience-going demographics of uh, movies, it seems that uh, studios have been keener to get films with a 12A rating, which has meant 
that the sort of the graphic violence that can be shown on screen has to be diluted down in order to get that rating. But Olympus Has Fallen is a sort of unapologetically um, violent movie. And I, I, I don't know if that took you by surprise or not. I think I was quite surprised by the amount of violence. There was, to put it mildly, quite a lot of knife action. <laughs> and certainly certainly a few cracked necks along the way and a lot of automatic weapon fire gerard butler seems to pick up every every single gun that's uh, that's lying uh, available in the white house throughout the course of the film and when he when he can't he uses any anything else within reach i mean at, at one stage well there there was somebody that was i believe killed by the bust of abraham lincoln <laughs> Yes, I did. Uh, I did see that, and I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I enjoyed that moment. I don't know if you did, or if you felt it was a sort of denigration of, you know, of a, a great American leader. I mean, I thought it was it was relatively amusing, but you. Uh, I thought when they when they went down that route, they could have really sort of used every aspect of the historical note within the White House to to great effect. I mean, surely there there must have been sort of. The, the presidential letter opener in the desk of the White House in the <laughs> Oval Office uh, wasn't used. Seems like a missed opportunity. Do you think in 100 years from now that there'll be an action film which features the hero uh, beating a terrorist to death with the bust of Donald Trump? I don't think there will be a civilization at that point as well, <laughs> possibly, possibly due to the actions of said president Donald Trump. Now, there is a scene in this movie which, uh, given that you're not an action movie fan, I, I was, would be interested to know what your particular take on it was, where we see uh, Jared Butler, he's incapacitated two of the uh, terrorists, and he's got them tied up to chairs in uh, what I think is the Oval Office, and he needs to get some information from them. And in order to make an example of one, he just uh, stabs him in the head in short order, before then turning his attentions to the next terrorist, who he stabs in the leg in order to get him to uh, reveal the uh, information that he needs I, I wondered you know how how did how did that scene sit with you Joe as a you know as somebody who's not into action movies and who you know I know to be you know a, a fairly sort of moral and you know upstanding man I mean I think it, it was probably the most appalling action done in <laughs> in the Oval Office since I'm assuming today or yesterday or last week. I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> now, come on, you must surely, I mean, you must surely watch a scene like that. There must be a small part of you that experiences a certain, you know, a certain thrill, a certain frisson of excitement. It seemed like a a sub twenty four level of interrogation in in my opinion. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Will. Uh, back in the day, I very much enjoyed the the work of Jack Bauer, but I thought that this was this was pretty pretty cheap. Now, Joe, as you don't know, because you haven't been following the Exploding Helicopter podcast regularly, uh, we looked at the Delta Force very recently, and that's a, a classic action movie from the 1980s, which unusually had a lot of very prestigious 
actors within the cast, bizarrely, for what was essentially a kind of low-budget action movie. And in Olympus Has Fallen, we've got something of, a, of another starry cast here again, because we've got two Oscar winners, we've got two former Oscar nominees, and a Golden Globe winner. And uh, I was, uh, you know, quite surprised to see sort of uh, actors of that ilk in uh, Olympus Has Fallen. I was extremely surprised to see actors of that ilk in Olympus's Forum. <laughs> I was not at all surprised to see Morgan Freeman uh, in a role in which the, the minute Morgan Freeman arrived on screen, I it reminded me that he wasn't president. And he turns up to be acting president within about 10 minutes of him being on screen. Well, it's just the normal order of things being restored, isn't it, really, with his swift uh, elevation to uh, president uh, in this movie. Did you not feel, though, that when he when he assumed the role of acting president, he was probably doing a better job than the actual president? And I was just wondering why at the end of uh, end of this film, he, he just didn't sort of continue doing the role. Well, Joe, if you venture um, into the Olympus Has Fallen series, which it is now, and watch London Has Fallen, you'll find that Morgan Freeman is promoted to vice president in uh, the sequel. That's uh, an interesting development, and I would like to say I will be watching the sequel of this world to find out how that how that develops. Um, and, well, and more excitingly for you, Joe, is that the third film, Angel Has Fallen, in that film, Aaron Eckhart is not going to be in that movie. So it raises the possibility that Morgan Freeman may be elevated to president in that movie. So I'm, I'm sh- that sounds like it will please you. Is this the is is this the main point of the film then that this is a this is a stepping stone for Morgan Freeman's character that continues to build over this series of films? Yeah, I think maybe they're they're looking to take this series into a sort of House of Cards like direction, and that really what will be revealed is that uh, all of the machinations of Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, will be revealed to be part of Morgan Freeman's greater plan to uh, become president of the United States of America. I was also pleased to see Robert Forster uh, involved in this. Uh, I've enjoyed him very much recently in the in the recent Twin Peaks series. Well, he's a former uh, Oscar nominee, so but uh, I don't know if you saw um, Angela Bassett in the cast, uh, and also another former Oscar nominee. And uh, she was uh, unashamed in her uh, reasoning for uh, getting involved in Olympus Has Fallen. She says uh, apparently the only reason she uh, agreed to do this film was that it would give her an opportunity to work with Morgan Freeman, which uh, perhaps tells you everything you need to know. That probably tells you everything you need to know about why everybody else was involved in this film. <laughs> it's presumably for the same reason. Uh, what, and what did you make of uh, Jared Butler in this in this movie? Because, you know, he's a certain type of hero in this. He's rather humorless, he's stab-happy, and he's untroubled by morality or conscience. I thought, if not wanting to keep bringing this back to comparison with with die hard world but i mean where whereas i think the the john mcclure character had a lot of a lot of witty banter um with with alan the john Rickman. mcclure character indeed no sorry sorry john <laughs> mcclain character what am i talking about i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> well we're gonna have to redo that uh, I've, <laughs> but... I've missed i've misread my notes I, we're leaving that in joe just bash on. 
the John McClane character um, has some has some witty banter with Alan Rickman in the in the Die Hard films, whereas I didn't I thought so much of Gerard Butler's interactions with the Kang character were were pretty flat, if I'll be honest. Well, I think there were several attempts at a bit of humour in this movie, but I, I agree they didn't work at all. But I have to say, I rather guiltily just enjoyed the bludgeoning fist into the face simplicity of uh, much of the dialogue in this movie. I mean, plunging fists into face wall was probably what he was doing more when not actually talking. But um, I mean, he's dealt. Uh, he does a reasonable job with what he's dealt in this film i think part of the problem is obviously um poor script he's clearly in the film to deliver the action parts of it not to deliver the dialogue okay i think we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action so while joe and i get ourselves psyched up you stay right there and we'll be right back Hello everybody, my name is Daverne, and I am the host of the Cinema Recall Podcast, which you can find at thatmomentin.com. On each episode, myself, along with a great guest, we will discuss in detail an iconic scene from a classic movie. So come check us out. We are available on Podomatic, on Stitcher, and most other places you can find podcasts. We are also on Facebook, just type in Cinema Recall. And we're also on Twitter at cinema underscore underline recall. We hope you enjoy the show and thank you for listening. We're back and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action and we've got two to examine. And in an effort to stop the terrorists, General Bob Forster orders six military choppers to land on the White House roof. But Kang, taking a brief respite from pummeling pensioners in the uh, abdomen down in the basement, has worked out how to use the White House's uh, Hydra 6 defense system, essentially a huge automated gun. Al Jezza heroically blasts the Hydra with a rocket launcher, but the final helicopter, um, which has been damaged, smashes into the roof of the right ha- White House right where he's standing. As the flaming vehicle explodes, uh, Jezza jumps from the flaming ledge, kind of falls through a couple of stories into the collapsing building. The next one occurs when terrorists try to make their getaway from the White House, seemingly all set to fly to safety aboard a chopper. Uh, the whirly bird mysteriously blows up turns out that the whole scene's been deliberately staged in order to cause confusion so the terrorists can make their real getaway. Joe, what did you make of these two exploding helicopters? I quite liked the first one to begin with in that, as you said, there's, there's a series of helicopters coming in to try and get to the White House and you have sort of five, five or six buzzing around at the time. And that, that gives a lot of potential in terms of what can happen, Will. And I, I knew coming uh, into this film that there was probably going to be at least one helicopter crash. So there was me sort of wait, well, waiting for, for it to happen. And I mean, you see one crash without an explosion. You see another crash without an explosion. A third one ends up disappearing off screen and we're, we're sort of told by the dialogue that that, that is, uh, downed. And then finally we have the, this, uh, this one that crashes in, uh, explodes at the top of the, the West Wing. And I mean, it's, uh, it's a great sight. Uh, I think it's actually probably one of the highlights of the film. 
Well, I would agree with you. We see the top of the White House blown up as this uh, as this helicopter explodes. And as you were saying, yeah, there are six helicopters involved in this sequence. And, uh, you know, we know it's going to go wrong. So there's a real palpable uh, tension um, in this particular sequence. And, yeah, uh, it was enjoyable to it's always enjoyable to see the White House being blown up. I speak uh, as a as a as a Brit there, of course. Big fan of 1812. Well, big, uh, big fan of 1812. Uh, exactly. And. Um, in terms of the second uh, helicopter, that one I was a little bit more disappointed with. It's a bit more of a surprise than the first one, although the explosion is rather brief and we actually spend most of the time watching it, watching other characters watch this exploding helicopter on a TV. As You know, they're watching the news and they're watching this assault take place. So it's a, a slightly sort of, you know, it's like watching the film of an exploding helicopter within the film of an exploding helicopter. Well, you sort of also get a different perspective on the explosion, I thought, in the second one. So I think the the first one, you're, the camera is sort of on it from above. And in this one, you, you sort of see the, the helicopter lifting up uh, after the passengers have, have gone in there. And then it explodes and then sort of crashes back down to the ground. So, I mean, it is slightly sort of mixed up against the, the first one. And I would agree that it's, it's more of a surprise. You know when there's six helicopters flying around that one of them's going to get it. And I think the, also the thing that slightly disappointed or irritated me about that second helicopter explosion is we don't actually learn what the cause of that helicopter explosion was. So whilst the surprise aspect of it was, was quite welcome, the fact that it was just sort of happened mysteriously, uh, I don't know. I, I, I like to see the method of helicopter destruction. I thought it was pretty clear, Will, that it was globalisation and Wall Street. <laughs> we really must get those forces of, um, you know, kind of economic theory back under control. You know what, Joe? I think that it's time to wrap things up. I think it's time to say that the curtain has fallen on Olympus has fallen. Uh, Joe, thanks for, for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure, Will. Uh, thank you for expanding my knowledge of action films. Hopefully I can get you back and continue your action movie education. Hopefully I can turn you into, you know, red meat eating, kind of head stabbing, you know, enthusiast soon. If we could have a nice Wes Anderson film next, Will, that would be really lovely. As always, please go and check out the Exploding Helicopter website. If you enjoy listening to the show, um, tell your friends, give us a plug on social media, leave us a review on iTunes, spread the word, spread the love. It's all about what we do. Now, we'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Okay, asshole. Yo, hey, who's running the show? Hmm? Are you speak English? They teach you that where you come from? Because you know what they teach me? It's how to extract information from people like you. Ha, 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 ha.
That's funny, huh? No, it's funny. I know. I get it. Yeah, I guess I'm a little rusty. I liked your friend, though. He seems like a funny guy. What's your leader's name? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. How many men you have? Because I do. In English. 